I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer and host of News Beat. Now, as many of our listeners know, we've covered several components of America's criminal mass incarceration epidemic, from money bail and youth prisons to felony disenfranchisement and the lack of universal compensation for the wrongly convicted, then exonerated, among others. And I think that when most people hear the term mass incarceration or even prison, they immediately envision the drab concrete walls, barbed wire, steel bars, and guard towers of a stereotypical physical fortress. Well, this episode examines the ever-growing, ever-tightening shackles of yet another form of imprisonment, one that's rapidly gaining in speed of implementation and the number of bodies stuck within its clutches. It's known as e-carceration, whereby those convicted, those released on parole or probation, and in some cases, even just those accused and in pretrial detention, are bound by the invisible chains and all-seeing eyes of omnipresent electronic surveillance. Deceivingly, these digital prisons give the impression that the sheer number of folks caught up in the hellscape of the U.S. prison industrial complex is dropping. Yet all the while, their traditional barred cells and doors are merely cloaked by the high-tech wizardry of mega-billion dollar corporations, private prison operators, and overlords intent on profiting off human misery and catastrophic suffering. Shattering these preconceived illusions and more and breaking down the walls of the entire system itself for us are Maesha Hayes, the National Organizer on Criminal Justice and Technology at the nonprofit Center for Media Justice. The simple truth of it is that the massive growth in parole is definitely connected to the years of mass incarceration and mass criminalization of black and brown and poor people. James Kilgore, author, educator, and project director for Challenging Ecarceration, part of the Center for Media Justice's hashtag No Digital Prisons campaign. That was on Electronic Monitor from 2009. 2010. And the minute I got that monitor on me, I started asking questions about it. And Stephanie LaCambra, criminal defense staff attorney at the nonprofit Electronic Frontier Foundation. A paramount concern has always been the risk of racial discrimination, and people of color tend to be placed on electronic monitoring far more often than their white counterparts. Our incredible musical guest this episode is Newsbeat's artist in residence, Brooklyn born hip hop lyrical assassin, Silent Night. All right, here it is. This is Ecarceration. Are digital prisons the future? Electronic monitoring is being used as an alternative to incarceration, largely due to, I think, a really interesting political moment that we're in right now, where criminal justice issues, in particular criminal justice reform, is a mainstream issue. Cities around the country are being pushed by their local activists and organizers to decarcerate and ultimately find alternatives to incarceration. Some of that work is really happening. The Senate overwhelmingly passed a criminal justice reform bill on Tuesday night, delivering a bipartisan win for President Trump. The First Step Act, as it is known, would change sentencing law, establish more early release programs, and expand job training meant to reduce recidivism. The state of California took a landmark step toward criminal justice reform today. Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill that would eliminate cash bail for those awaiting trial. You know, by no means is this work done, but our prison and jail populations are declining. For instance, I'm based in New York City where the prison and jail population has definitely declined. Let's take Rikers Island, for instance. At one point in time, Rikers Island had a population of over 22,000 people. 
Right now, it's under 10,000. Those populations are declining. However, now that that work is being done, people want to know, you know, what are the alternatives that we can use instead? Electronic monitors are nothing new. They've existed in the criminal legal system for the past 30 years, but the use of these devices have gone up 150% within the last decade. So you see these devices used as a condition of pretrial release, parole or probation much more frequently now. There are approximately four and a half million Americans on probation or parole. That's nearly four times what it was in 1980. These devices are even used on youth. GPS technology is nothing new, but there is a new twist to the way it's being used at the D.C. agency that handles juvenile offenders. They're implementing a new system that gives them real-time tracking of the movements and whereabouts of juveniles who are on their watch. And we also know that around 30 to 50,000 immigrants are also placed on these devices. Last night at 11, we met an unauthorized immigrant here in Northeast Ohio, a mother forced to wear a GPS ankle monitor or get deported. Yeah, a federal immigration official confirms that they often use those GPS ankle monitors in lieu of detaining someone in jail. And I've learned it's a practice that has only grown under the Trump administration. The reason why electronic monitoring is being considered as an alternative is really in response to the demand to decarcerate. This is why we've launched this campaign called Challenging Ecarceration, because we believe that we need to really contend with what we mean when we say decarceration, and also in the meantime, advocate for those living on these devices by really framing electronic monitors as a carceral tool that basically imprisons people in their home. In some cases, people are charged fees. So sometimes that might be an installation fee, that might be a daily usage fee. And even if the fee is as small as $10 a day, if you add that up in addition to an installation fee, you're looking at a couple hundred dollars a month while you await for your trial. There's also the fact that these devices are GPS tracking devices. Your movement is also being surveilled and tracked and, and stored through the company and there's no regulations or explanation really for why that is. The devices are also very uh, dehumanizing. So even if you do have any access to, to go outside or not be on house arrest, you have this ankle monitor on you that's basically sharing with the world that you've been involved with the criminal legal system in some sort of way. That was on electronic monitor from 2009 to 2010. And the minute I got that monitor on me, I started asking questions about it. When I told people I was doing research on monitoring and I wanted to do some kind of campaign around it, most people just said, well, it's better than jail. My response was always, well, that's true, but a minimum security prison is better than a supermax, but it's still prison. By the same token, at an individual level, I would never tell someone, you're better off staying in prison or in jail than going out on an electronic monitor. Just like I wouldn't tell somebody, well, stay in that supermax where you're in solitary 24 hours a day and don't go to this camp where you can be out free, you know, 16 hours a day moving around the yard and so forth. So what we're forced to accept at an individual level, which might be electronic monitoring, which might be a plea bargain to a charge that we're not guilty of because the risks are too great in going to trial and losing. We accept that, but
But that doesn't mean that we accept that that's a just or an acceptable outcome. We must fight for a much broader type of systemic change. There's no escape in this head, they got eyes on you Try to keep it on the low, but it's high volume You in the scope, yo, they pry on you Prisoner in your own home, there's fouls on you For the layman class, they try to frame it as a win That's what we wanted, right? Less people in the pen But that's not the solution we want, bruh We got less people on the inside, but they still locked up Got funds coming in on both sides Everybody making money, so what's not the cosign? It's what they've been doing the whole time Cruise control, but the future on ghost ride, I guess the regular phone lines ain't bad enough. Slap a GPS on your leg, they tracking you. Every move you can't juke the cameras. Every last one of us in it is sad enough. We actually prefer to call this technology ankle shackles rather than bracelets. We don't think they're bracelets at all. I mean, a bracelet is generally a decorative item. Maybe it's a fashion accessory, and that's not what these are. These are connections to the criminal legal system. So I think we should make sure that we use the terminology that properly depicts what they are. It's difficult to know exactly how many devices there are in place because the companies are not very transparent. The federal government does not keep any central database of people who are on electronic monitors. But our guess is that there's somewhere between 175,000 and 200,000 people on an electronic monitor at any given time. Then we have private usages of these things. So for example, bail bonding companies are setting up their own electronic monitoring programs. Other companies are putting electronic monitors of their own on immigrants when they bail them out of the immigrant detention centers. And then they're also used in cases of domestic violence and in cases of DUIs. That's right, Doug. We've seen ankle monitors equipped with GPS tracking devices. This judge, though, is using ankle bracelets that can detect alcohol as it's released from the pores in your body. The biggest electronic monitoring company is BI Incorporated, which is a subsidiary of the GEO Group, which is the largest private prison company in the world. So clearly there's a connection. It might be wrong to say, though, that the GEO Group, for example, wants to shift people out of prison and into incarceration. I think what they want to do is to grow their electronic monitoring market and keep people in prison because they make money in, on both sides. I often try to think of myself as the CEO of an electronic monitoring company. And I try to think, if I was an electronic monitoring company, what would I be doing right now to increase my market and increase my revenue. So I think that the GEO Group is looking for new targets for electronic monitors. People who have a history of not being in the mainstream, people with mental health histories perhaps, people with substance abuse histories, people who maybe ha have been in family court or things like this. But I think the use of electronic monitors has to be justified by creating the fear of a certain sector of the population. The simple truth of it is that the massive growth in parole is definitely connected to the years of mass incarceration and mass criminalization of black and brown and poor people. So whenever we talk about decarceration, I think it's very important to talk about those who are under some sort of state supervision. So we often throw around the number, you know, two million people are incarcerated in our jails and prisons across the country. Well, there's actually 4 million people that are under some sort of state supervision as well. So the picture of mass incarceration 
and the state of our criminal justice system is actually much larger than what we normally say and talk about. As far as how electronic monitors are used as a condition of parole, it's pretty awful. I mean, basically what happens is folks who have served their sentence come home and as a condition of their parole must be on an electronic monitor. We know that some of the common practices are restrictions to movement, which is very, very crucial as someone who's returning home, right? You need to reconnect with your community, get engaged with your family and friends, find work and employment and find housing. And all of this is really hard to do when you're living on this device and also on some sort of house arrest. So that's how basically electronic monitors are used as a condition of parole is that essentially people who have served their time come home and then are reincarcerated in their homes through these devices. You know a shackle's still a shackle and it don't matter how you want to candy coat it or find a way to pad it or damage control it the fact that the matter is still a trap in the back component just cause you can't see the chain attached to it that's a semantic notion and I could break it down for you a moment so the same owners of these private prisons are the owners of these systems so it don't matter if the prisons have less people in them it's all in their best interest supervision of the state either prisoners or hey parolees or we know immigrants Ain't safe sitting in one place, so we spend a day scattered. They make money either way, plus they know you're spending patterns. People that you're close to, anything that matters, and we have no idea what they're gonna do with that data. I have to give it up, it's a pretty clever trick. Prison population down, but now they get to take their pick. Locational privacy has been a concern in a number, the deployment of a number of different law enforcement surveillance technologies, from automated license plate readers to the use of facial recognition, particularly now with the rollout of body-worn cameras, where if you were to make those two systems, facial recognition and body-worn cameras, interoperable, there are also a lot of smart cities that have been wired with smart cameras and could also be used as a, a companion to facial recognition. Technological advance that has piracy the advocates up in arms. It's all about tracking you using those license plate scanners that are popping up everywhere. Well, the Big Apple wants to keep tabs on just about anyone entering or leaving the city. New York City leaders want to create a database that can combine both license plate numbers and facial recognition. So there are a host of technologies, including, gosh, cell-slight simulators, which are commonly known to the public as stingrays. A court case out of Oakland illuminates exactly how far law enforcement will go in order to use surveillance devices known as stingrays to catch suspected criminals. Back in 2013, the Oakland Police Department and FBI used stingrays to find a man who was allegedly involved in the shooting of a police officer. At the time, no warrant had been obtained. And since then, the agencies have been trying to hide information about how they deployed the devices. Location information is a concern across a number of different technologies. We're concerned not just about the rights of the people that are being monitored, but all the people that they associate with. So if you're in a household with someone who's on electronic monitoring or communicating with someone that's on electronic monitor, there runs the risk of your information also being compromised as well. You know, as a criminal defense attorney, I first noticed electronic monitoring tools being ordered as a condition of probation, but it wasn't long before it was also used as a tool during pretrial supervision. I think we should be concerned about location tracking, not just in the context of electronic monitoring, but in all of these other contexts as well, because I think they give law enforcement the potential to really aggregate very detailed profiles about all of us, regardless of whether you're on probation or parole or awaiting trial in, in, in a case. Uh, it has some really concerning implications for the exercise of First Amendment rights. 
the fear is that they're going to use location tracking like facial recognition or cell site simulators against protesters when they're exercising their First Amendment right to protest or ask for redress from their government. We've been calling for the community and, and the public to demand strict constitutional safeguards against electronic monitoring's misuse, especially because of the fact that this precise comprehensive record of a person's public movements can reflect that wealth of detail about their associations that we're concerned about. A paramount concern has always been the risk of racial discrimination, and people of color tend to be placed on electronic monitoring far more often than their white counterparts. For example, Black people in Cook County, Illinois, make up 24% of the population, yet represent 70% of the people on electronic monitoring. This ratio pretty much mirrors the similarly skewed racial disparity in physical incarceration. So minority communities, because they're, they're over-policed by law enforcement, they will be disproportionately impacted by incarceration because they're going to suffer greater contact with the criminal justice system and as a result be ordered to participate at a higher rate in incarceration. There's been so much attention on state-sanctioned violence and mass incarceration that has led people to demand for decarceration. However, I think within that moment, we have to really contend with what does decarceration really look like? Is the sort of decarceration that we're demanding a fundamental shift in how we respond to harm and maintain public safety? Or is our demand to decarcerate about evolving our criminal justice system with technology that creates digital prisons that we're going to have to contend with years later down the line when we see a crisis happening with so many people being incarcerated in their homes by these devices. We have to really think about which direction do we think is going to advance more freedom and dignity for folks who are oftentimes victims of mass incarceration. There's this understanding that we all have that technology is neutral and that it's helpful and it can be used in a way to, to help, to help us. But I think that we have to think a little bit more critically about how we want to use technology as a solution to really serious structural and systemic issues. As we're in this moment of, you know, bail reform, parole justice, all of these different issues within the criminal justice space, we have a real opportunity to take a, a pause and think about, okay, if we're going to end monetary bail, how do we actually address harm and maintain public safety in our communities? Or do we want to just find a technological solution to this issue? I think that's the issue that we're, that we're having to deal with. And I do think that we have an opportunity now to course correct. From pre-trial to in jail to probation To back in jail and then to parole they can Keep track of your whole life, your whole cases Extended, your whole life is enslavement It don't matter if violent or drug related It don't matter if you in or incarcerated I think you get in the message, but I'll restate it It's like Oprah in this bitch Everybody getting bracelets, we deep in They know who you visit and who you sleep with They know how you spending your money and all your frequency What if they decide to make it even deeper Run up on your room Mate at a protest cause they a speaker Talk about a police state or maybe worse The whole world could be a prison When what we learn And stop it from becoming a norm Decarcerate but do it with real reform Hello everybody, this is Manny Faces again Newsbeats, the producer and host A very sincere thank you for listening Thank you again to Silent Night for your incredible work 
Newsbeat is brought to you by Mori Creative Studios, a growth-driven New York-based HubSpot partner agency, helping companies leverage the HubSpot platform to achieve sustainable digital growth. Check them out at morecreative.com and grow for good. Now, just a little bit more about our guests. Maisha Hayes is the national organizer on criminal justice and technology at the Center for Media Justice, a nonprofit dedicated to building a powerful movement for a more just and participatory media and digital world with racial equity and human rights for all. An outspoken activist with experience on various national and local campaigns, President Obama's re-election, Fight for $15, and Close Rikers among these, Maisha is the grandchild of a political prisoner and deeply committed to organizing people power, leading to radical, transformative change and justice. Check out centerformediajustice.org to learn about its many initiatives, to get involved, or show some support. Contact Maisha at Maisha at MediaJustice.org and follow her on Twitter at Maisha Ayana, M-Y-A-I-S-H-A-A-Y-A-N-N-A. James Kilgore is a writer, educator, and social justice activist who teaches and works at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and writes widely on issues of mass incarceration and the politics and history of Southern Africa. He's the project director for Challenging Ecarceration, part of the Center for Media Justice's hashtag No Digital Prisons campaign, which aims to change the conversation and policy concerning electronic monitoring and surveillance in the criminal justice system. James spent more than six years in prison, during which time he drafted four published novels. He's also the author of a primer on the prison industrial complex, Understanding Mass Incarceration, a people's guide to the key civil rights struggle of our time. When not writing, Kilgore works in his community to fight against jail building and help open the doors of opportunity for people with felony convictions. Check out challengingecarceration.org to learn more about the initiative and how you can help. Visit freedomneverrests.com to learn more about his many projects or contact him directly at kilgor at illinois.edu and follow him on Twitter at W-A-A-Z-N-1. Stephanie Lacombre is criminal defense staff attorney at Electronic Frontier Foundation, the leading nonprofit defending civil liberties in the digital world. Founded in 1990, EFF champions user privacy, free expression, and innovation through impact litigation, policy analysis, grassroots activism, and technology development, working to ensure that rights and freedoms are enhanced and protected as our use of technology grows. A longtime indigent criminal defense trial attorney and immigration defense activist, prior to EFF, Stephanie worked as a deputy federal defender at the Federal Defender's Office of San Diego and also at the San Francisco Public Defender's Office. She continues to speak truth to power by protecting your civil rights from government overreach as part of EFF's Civil Liberties Team. Check out EFF.org to learn more about the group's mission and many initiatives to become involved and to support the cause. Contact Stephanie at Stephanie at EFF.org. To hear more from our extraordinary musical artists for this episode, Newsbeat's artists in residence, Silent Night, check out Silent Night, that's Night Like a Chess Piece, at bandcamp.com, and the incredible hip-hop fusion band he fronts, The Band Called Fuse, at bandcalledfuse.com. Follow them on Twitter at Silent Nighter and Band Called Fuse. Once again, folks, I'm Manny Faces. I'm on Twitter at Manny Faces. And on behalf of the entire Newsbeat family at US Newsbeat, I want to thank you once again for listening. 
Remember, there's a full-length traditional cover story accompanying this in every episode, along with extended guests and musical artist bios, some dope-looking swag for sale, and much more at usnewsbeat.com. So definitely check that out. And here at Newsbeat, we strive to illuminate the most pressing social justice issues of our time, rectify false narratives, and hopefully, just maybe, spark real positive change. Our unique blend of social justice journalism and original hip-hop is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. So if you dig what you've heard and you're moved or inspired or want to hear more, hell, if you support independent journalism and independent music, we're a great place to show you support. Please consider contributing to the cause at usnewsbeat.com support. And once again, we ask that you subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this show. And as always, power to the people. May the truth help break those chains holding back so, so many, whether they be iron, digital, or otherwise. Peace. We're out. One love. One love.